0: Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise.
1: Chapter 41, Living the JAG Community Governing Principles.
2: Welcome to our podcast, Living the JAG Community Governing Principles. I'm Patty Babb, the OJAG Public Affairs Officer. I'm joined today by JAG community members with diverse backgrounds, experiences, and professional expertise. Uh, and we're going to be discussing the governing principles that were issued by Vice Admiral John Hannock in May. I'd like to welcome Commander Marianne Sampley, Lieutenant Ben Maddox, Lieutenant Kerwin Mike, Chief Legalman Eric Foster, Chief Legalman Daniela Briseno, Ms. Erica Riley, and Ms. Cynthia Catalan. Thank you so much for taking part in this podcast, and let's get started. Lieutenant Maddox, how can the JAG community members internalize our governing principles? Rather than vague platitudes, how can we make them a cornerstone of our practice?
3: Uh, Thanks, BAO. When I saw this question internalized, I... um... You know, I had to I had to think about it and um, I went to, I went back to the CR to look at like kind of what the governing principles or what the CR was saying about the governing principles and um I kind of pieced it out into to three pieces I think it's you know overall we want to make the governing principles part of our like daily practice as as judge advocates and as legal men and civilians um, but if you look at like the accessions process or the basic lawyer course or for officer development school uh, for a school. I think that those are kind of like the, the first touch points of like where we kind of put this into our practice and put, like how we internalize, you know, the principles. So I think our documents need to be updated with material that that reinforce the principles, like through that, like kind of a sessions pipeline. And then I was also thinking about recruiting. I'm a big advocate for recruiting. Uh, There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle, I think, um, for interns, for externs, for um, structured interview questions, uh, for talking points that we give out when we go recruiting. Um, We need to put these governing principles everywhere, I think. Um, And it will help. I think it will help like everyone in our community kind of memorize these principles. It, It should just be like we should all know what they are at all times, especially for that like a sessions kind of pipeline um, for, for everyone. And then another thing I was thinking about was, um, and this is what the CR said, it was, you know, career education and training. Uh, you know, we need to put this all over our, uh, community briefs, our promotion board material, um, kind of, they need to embody, you know, who we are as a community. And then the last piece I kind of, when I was reading through the CR, it, you know, it kind of was like, It said generally throughout a judge advocate's career. um, And to me, that's kind of a catch all, right? So um, I I think that, like I said earlier, it's like part of our daily practice, but also, you know, we need to put these into our evaluation, put these into our fitness reports. um, And then we should also be, you know, acknowledged and recognized for, you know, like one of them is encourage innovation, right? Promote a culture of learning. So people should be recognized for doing those things uh, in our community. So the bottom line, kind of a tough question to answer, but I think when you internalize the principles, that means that, you know, our community needs to have like an unconscious assimilation that, you know, we know what they are and we kind of embody those. So I think this is kind of the first step in the process of, you know, pushing pushing this out.
2: Well, I can weigh in from PAO's perspective that we definitely are working towards what you mentioned, which is highlighting them in all our materials. And it will be more than just a single poster. I think it will be a multi-pronged effort over a year or more um, so that people can really get familiar with the governing principles. Thank you.
4: Um,
2: Ms. Catalan, our first governing principle is embody a war fighting spirit. So as legal professionals, um, um, and in many cases, in billets that aren't directly related to warfighting, how do you think we can apply this principle in our day to day work?
5: So, um, Ms. Babb, I work in legal assistance, um, and that uh, as department assists members in areas of civil law where it really isn't always readily apparent how our work supports our warfighters. I think that to apply that first principle to our daily work, we have to have a, just a real understanding of how what we each do and how our particular role advances that warfighting principle. And to have that understanding, I think that we need to provide our members and those billets not directly related to warfighting fighting with real experiences that connect our work to the Navy mission. So it ultimately becomes part of our daily and part of how we perceive our daily work responsibilities. I'll tell you, I'm very thankful that at the very outset of my career here, um, Captain Marcus Fulton, who was then my OIC, and he was then Lieutenant Com- Commander Fulton, um, sent me on a brief underway period with the carrier of the USS John F. Kennedy. He understood that I had a very limited reference point in my civilian career and I'll tell you that experience was an eye-opener I'll never forget it and it allowed me to have some understanding of the focus required um, by each individual service member um, necessary to advance that mission. And I really do think that we should offer those type of opportunities um, to allow individuals, especially individuals like me, who was truly a civilian, who came from the civilian world, uh, a real understanding of what our warfighters do. That sounds amazing. I'm quite jealous of
2: that experience. Um, it was awesome. <laughs> I can imagine it was eye-opening. Um, so, uh, Chief Risenio, um, on that same note and uh, the war-fighting spirit, um, the comprehensive review said that the JAG community needs to embrace its dual identity as a profession of law and a profession of arms. What does that dual identity mean to you um
6: yeah so dual identity i think is really really important and at times i sort of think that we um you know we sort of focus on on one thing um and have a limited scope of you know like miss Rodriguez was saying how we fit into the big picture so what it means to me, at least, is that we're sailors, right? We're part of the U.S. Navy. That's the profession of arms. And then we're members of the JAG Corps. And that's our technical expertise. Um, and so when you're dual identity or when you have dual identity, it means that you have to understand the organization, the U.S. Navy, and how we fit in it as officers and enlisted. Um So the way I think about it is JAG JAG officers should want to know how to lead sailors as leaders, right, as commissioned officers outside of the JAG Corps, Um, but also vice versa. Enlisted should want to understand and become technical experts in the JAG Corps, right? So we always talk about, okay, well, you know, enlisted people, we have... We have previous ratings. We've been exposed to the Navy out there. Um, we have sort of those technical skills already set in place, and we understand the Navy as um, uh, how do we progress in the Navy itself. We know we belong to the to the U.S. Navy, but we need to also want to become those technical experts within our JAG Corps community. Um, the same thing for our JAG officers. Like, we got to understand the Navy outside of being in the JAG Corps. And I think when we sort of do that, it helps us provide service to our clients um, and contribute to the overall to the overall Navy mission. Because you understand the mission outside of the JAG Corps, um, so you get better. You you are better. Um, and what, when I was um, I was attending a training, they talked about. There was a white paper that was written by a retired uh, General Martin Dempsey, and um, one of his quotes was, he was saying that we're not a profession simply because we say we're a profession. We must learn to understand and promote knowledge, skills, attributes, and behaviors that define as a profession. So the profession of arms is the values, ethics, skills, attributes, attributes, all that is um, all that makes us a profession of arms, and everyone's a part of the profession of arms junior enlisted and in, in officers and senior leaders period so dual identity means you can do both uh, I think that's the way I foresee it like you, you you know you're a big part of the U.S. Navy but you also know that you're also part of the JAG Corps and you are a part of both so I mean that's it's, it's kind of a tricky thing because sometimes we scope down into one or the other right but um, that's why you do have to go do those underways so you can understand what is maybe doing out there beyond our little
2: scope. Yeah, keeping that global perspective um, every day is, uh, is key, I think.
7: So, I um, agree I completely with what uh, Cynthia um, said and what uh geez was saying as well, um, I think it's so important in our position in order to uh, be able to have that global perspective and to get the a bigger picture awareness is to just understand um, what we do, how important it is uh, to the mission um, success of the Navy, the people who are on the front line fighting. Um, and the best way that we can do that is just understanding what the uh, mission of the Navy is and on a daily basis within our individual departments, uh, because I do legal assistance as well, um, like Cynthia um, is acknowledging that what we do every day uh, Rose, um, what that bigger picture is and what the bigger
4: purpose is
7: of what we do and how as we um, are involved and engaging in our day-to-day actions, um, it helps to bring peace of mind to the um, individuals who are on the front lines where they don't have to worry about the things that are happening back at home and that they can focus on what they're doing in order to keep themselves safe and it's all safe as well.
2: Lieutenant Mike, um, un- Another governing principle is lead with character and integrity. Um, It mentions emphasizing fundamental fairness. So how do you think the JAG community can lead the way on fairness regarding diversity and inclusion?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think the JAG community can lead the way on fundamental fairness regarding diversity and inclusion by um, first understanding how the governing principles suggest we should do it. Um, and it fates with character and integrity. Um, I I personally crystallize this integrity concept as this moral compass, um, taking an honest and true assessment of not only where we are now, but um where we've been and determining if we're there yet or if not, how do we get to this place of fundamental fairness? Um now this true and honest assessment may encompass taking a step back, polling members of our community, evaluating statistics on the issue to get an actual true and accurate representation of where we are. And, um, this may take some humility, which is another great character trait of a leader and an understanding on, um, like the importance of having a diverse community, the importance of having unique individuals, whether it's because of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, sexual orientation, whatever. Like understanding the importance of uh, the Jagcor being a micro, microcosm of society, and that, um, and I think that genuinely helps us as a whole in being a better organization. But um, last, I, I think that this important aspect of the fundamental fairness concept is the inclusivity part. Like there is a behavior aspect to this inclusion word because it requires action, um, a deliberate effort to create this environment where everyone is respected, empowered, and contribute equally, um, supported with, you know, access to the same resources and opportunities, regardless of this, of their diverse backgrounds and individual demographics. So I think the Jack community can not only lead the Navy, but demonstrating what fundamental fairness is, but I, I believe at some level, uh, we may, be expected to as being the legal community, and um, quite honestly, uh, I think we should.
2: Chief, how have recent events in the news affected you as a service member um, and as a legal practitioner? How do you think we as a JAG community can can learn from those events?
6: Well, I think... um, it's the country's going through a lot of challenging times, and it's really difficult to sit back and sort of watch and I'm sure that it's a feeling that a lot of people are doing is just watching and observing this on TV. And sometimes, especially right now for service members, where we have to sort of monitor ourselves and some, some sometimes like keep those comments or thoughts to ourselves. You know, there's policies in place for certain things. Um, it's really difficult, right? And for me as a chief, I worry from different perspectives, right? And I worry about, well, what are my sailors feeling? You know, what are they going? We're, they're watching this on television every single day like what are they thinking um and it's kind of like well how how do I show that the empathy how can I listen those are some of my thoughts that are going through my head um how how do I provide comfort and actual true genuine solidarity how how can I be there and then there's the other part of how do I cultivate that environment of inclusiveness am i am i doing the right things you know um and how am i learning about biases and racial injustices and how can i be a support system for those who are actually facing it? i think about all those all at once all the time and it's been an ongoing thing and i don't i don't know if everybody else feels the same way um in the group but the one time that i remember Like this, seeing it from this perspective of how is everyone else feeling as their chief was, uh, I remember there was um, a student that once sort of was waiting for me to say something. And um, I kind of, I did, you know, you have to, you have to say, hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? And it was sort of a sight of relief, I believe on their end, that someone would actually talk to them about it because I think at some point they feel like uh, i can't talk about this openly sometimes or if i talk about this um my feelings on what's going on out there the civil unrest the injustices am i going to sort of get in trouble by talking about it so it's a conversation that i truly need think that needs to be had i think in not just the jack obviously in the navy and it's happening right but i think that we need to be transparent We need to address it head on and sort of ask those difficult questions or at least try to understand what's going on within our own organization. Do we have, are we, are we educating ourselves? Do we understand that diversity is important, not only for our community, but for the U.S. Navy as well? And are we, you know, are we, are we biased in many ways and how how do we educate ourselves to sort of confront that?
2: Commander Stampley, uh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, another governing principle is embrace accountability. And in recent years, some high-profile cases have diminished public trust in the JAG community. Um, how can we learn lessons from the past and, and earn back some of that trust?
1: Yeah, it's um, I, I'm sort of speechless. I'm listening to everybody's answers and and the conversation that's happening and. Um it, it every, it's just really inspiring and I think that Um, it sort of tracks with, um, a book I was recently reading, a mentor of mine recommended this book probably 18 months ago, and I didn't bother to read it or I didn't prioritize reading it until recently. Um, cause part of, part of what I've been trying to focus on through this pandemic and, and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change, um, has been to maintain some sort of routine and to do, um, you know, to just have better boundaries between, um. Different places and different times of my day, and things like that. So, one of those things I've been doing is been doing a lot more reading. Um, and so, 18 months ago, one of my mentors recommended um, a book that I think gets to the heart of the question that you're asking. And it is pretty much how does an organization or an individual build trust, regardless of whatever perceived reason for losing it? Um, so, the book is called The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And there's lots of books that, that can be read, but this is just one that speaks to me on this topic. Um, and I think it's Speaks directly to the point of the question. Um, but I won't try to lecture everybody on the book. <laughs> but what he does do is he has four cores. Um, to building trust, and that's integrity, intent, capabilities, and results. Um, and I think it sort of ties to what Lieutenant Mike was just talking about when, when he spoke about character and integrity, um, because I found value the value of this resource, um, and I'm really appreciative of having a mentor who would recommend it to me, because um, it just sort of continues this, this continual process of learning that we do. Um, and the governing principles point me in the direction of resources like this through the call to promote a culture of learning encourage innovation and then most notably um, lead with character and integrity all while being focused on the mission of supporting the fleet and enabling the fight because after all we are an organization of researchers and problem solvers and uh, we build trust every day by living into our integrity by demonstrating our positive intent um, by honing our capabilities and then producing results um, and so I think I think just like you said in the very first answer um, that to the very first question um, that that these governing principles actually when we when we bring them fully into our our processes, whether it's through assessments, recruiting, and especially just day to day decision making, um, I think that they they'll they'll get us in the in uh, into directions of of building trust and the speed of trust and all of those pieces of it.
2: Thank you. Good book recommendation. I'm trying to read a little bit more as well, uh, with varying degrees of success. But I'm going to have to add that to my list. Never forget ebooks. They are great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and audiobooks are, are, are my savior as well, so I can multitask. Chief Foster, I wanted to um, ask you do you think there are cultural issues within the JAG community? You know, um, we're a highly competitive group of people, um, or, you know, there may be. Sort of a widespread fear of acknowledging mistakes, um, some cultural issues within our community that make honest self assessment and, and open dialogue um, more difficult, and, and how can we address some of those issues?
0: My thing is just slightly, um, it is a highly competitive environment because everyone everyone want to have the best outcome for their particular uh, organization like if I'm prosecution I want to win for the government if I'm defense I want to win for my client Um, and then just the nature of the way we promote and advance is it's a ranking system so it's a highly competitive environment and it can make it difficult for someone to acknowledge mistakes because any mistake may be seen as a form of weakness and the person might not want to expose themselves to that um, so we can make self-assessment under um, self-assessment and open dialogue difficult. But I think the way we can address those issues is to view each other as human and to view each other as teammates. Because if I'm all about myself, I you know, you can be me to do anything and I, I do it regardless of the consequences and how they make others feel. But if I know I'm a part of a team, then I know that uh, my success is dependent upon their success and vice versa. So it would make me be more, I guess, considerate of my actions and behaviors towards others. And so I think it's incumbent upon leadership and let people know once they get to the command, hey, um, this is a team environment. Of course, everyone wants to promote and move up in rank, but just do your best job. And what would be would be, but don't take on the stress of wanting to outshine your counterpart because it's it's unnecessary. And what would be will be. So just do your best and enjoy your day. And that's how I think we can um, address that now. Uh, Chief Officer,
3: yeah, great points. I love the the, the team approach. Uh, I'm a big team guy, and I'm missing it right now because I can't play like any sports in, in light of this COVID <laughs> environment. But I think, one, we need to acknowledge that people are going to make mistakes, right? So you're going to make mistakes as a JG, you know, as an E5, as an O6, but, you know, when you look at the governing principles, it it says we continually learn, assess, and share knowledge. So, I mean, I I think that, like, we're in a, like, learning culture, and so... I think we need to acknowledge as a community, you know, that, yes, we're all competitive and we're trying to, you know, serve and do our best, but we're also constantly in a state of learning. So every assignment that we go to, we're learning new things, we're learning new processes, we're learning new people. Um, And, you know, none of us are perfect. And I do think that the Navy has kind of moved into a, I guess, era of, (laughs) <laughs> you know, where it's that there's a lot more risk and we should acknowledge that people are, are going to make mistakes and that we should do everything um, that we can as a command, as a unit, as a community to help everyone, you know, um, fix those mistakes for, for the next time. Cause, I mean, I'll be the first to admit. I've made plenty of mistakes um, as a junior officer in my six years, and I'm fine with that. I mean, it made me a better officer. All the, the mistakes that I've made have, you know, made me a better officer and a and a better lawyer, and I wouldn't have learned otherwise.
6: There, I think it's uh, it's really painful otherwise to continue to go through the um, through this mentality that <laughs> that you have to be perfect and that you cannot make a mistake in the community i think that the the environment of learning i think that's what you called it um is so par- it's like it's so great and refreshed it's refreshing to hear, because everyone, walk, um, I think, not everyone, but there is a mentality of we have to be perfect, and it's just not—it's not, almost impossible to be perfect. <laughs> it's not impossible; it's like difficult to walk around pretending that you won't make a mistake in the future.
0: This is uh, Lieutenant Mike, and I—it's—it's it's amazing when you're kind of talking about it. You can see how all these principles are definitely intertwined. Um, Especially talking about it, just not honest, true assessment of yourself and. Um as well as um, embracing accountability and just going back to the you know just the inclusion part of it is it, everyone just feels like they're we're all equal we all work together mistakes are mistakes because uh, I know there are some people out there feel like they can't make the same mistakes as others because they maybe they might be thwarted to opportunities in the future if they do as mentioned before um, but if, if everyone knows that look you know we all make mistakes no matter who you are um, and with that you know, we're there, um, and then making that effort to, um, make them feel like it's okay to do that and to make mistakes because this is a learning environment, um, I definitely think, um, as what Lieutenant, um, Alex mentioned, it, it will help us
4: as a whole.
2: Ms. Riley, um, another governing principle is promote a culture of learning. And we talked a little bit earlier about finding time for reading. Um, And I know that it can be really hard in high-op-tempo environments to make time for learning and professional development. So how do you find time to learn? And um, how do you think you can make learning even more of a priority in the future?
7: We already have, like, a busy schedule, you know, everybody's um, attending to their jobs, whether they can do that in the eight-hour time period, a 12-, 14-hour day, whatever um, the time... May, may be. Uh, it's how, on top of all that, do we continue to learn to grow and find uh, courses or training opportunities uh, so that we can continue to develop our professional skills? Uh, for me, I've, I've definitely been very fortunate. Um, so I've been with the Department of Navy for about four years now. Um, in the position that I sit in, um, my organization um, has, has provided uh, multiple day training uh, in order to. I uh, mm-hmm. uh, keep myself and others up to date on our professional mm-hmm. skills, um, in addition to the ones that they have been able to provide for us. Um, I've been able to uh, seek out and find other training sources. Uh, For example, I recently um, completed the uh, DOD's Executive Leadership Development Program.
4: Uh,
7: And the mission of that program was to develop civilian leaders who have an understanding of the global missions of the DOD, you know, which sort of circles back, as someone just mentioned about how all our principles are intertwined.
4: Uh,
7: Going back to number one, um, where the real focus on that was, Uh, understanding the mission um, of the warfighter and what they do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, What I really hope is that people are taking the time to find and utilize the tools that are in place for them in order to um, be able to have additional learning opportunities, whether it's the professional development officer um, at your command uh, for civilian personnel um, they should ask and see whether at their particular command or within their AOR they have a civilian education training coordinator to find additional learning opportunities. Um, but the crux of your question, or the question I really think is, well, how do we find the time on top of everything that we have to do? Um, and you really have to plan for it. That's what I found. It's, just, it's one more thing to put on. Your schedule to do things so that it stays and remains a priority for you and that it just doesn't slip you past know, your focus that you might have wanted to take this particular course um, that you can sign up for. Uh, as the cinematics mentioned, there's like the career education and training. Um, I believe for many of the military members, uh, they maintain a transcript of um, programs or classes that they want to take as they advance from, you know, one grade to the other. Um, uh, For our civilians, uh, we have what's known as the Individual Development Plan. Uh, It's an amazing tool that I'm, a major proponent of um, that particular, too, by uh, using that is how I found out about the Executive Leadership Development Program for civilian employees for every single grade level from the GS-5 through the GS-15, Uh, they have professional development programs out there. The DOD actually has a uh, civilian uh, continuum of uh, professional development uh, that has certain things as learning how to lead self how to lead others, uh, that you can take different programs geared to that. Um, And the one thing I I talked about a little bit about the IDP is that what you often see is that I I will get. excuse me, uh, Pete mentioned that, you know, I would love to take this course, but either um, because the mission um, priorities of the department, I can't get away right now. But if you use your IDP, uh, it's a tool meant for you and your supervisor to sit down. It allows for you to plan and the items that you can put on your your IDP. There could be things that are essential to your um, job functions or just other professional um, development opportunities that you want to take uh, to develop yourself, your leadership, management um, traits, if that's what you're interested in. Um, all of this is supported by the um, Department of the Navy and the Department of Defense, um, and it allows you and your particular command to be able to plan out and prepare for you to uh, be able to have the time to go to these courses while they can also prioritize their mission uh, focus as well. And so that's what I would, uh, that's how I've managed um, to continue to um, invest in learning opportunities. Uh, It's what I plan to continue to do in the future. Um, I would highly encourage um, people as well uh, to try to utilize the tools that are in place. Um, in order to be able to carve out some time, so they can continue um, engage in learning opportunities. Uh, clearly, uh, this is something that's important to um, the Department of the Navy, um, as it's one of our governing principles. So, um, it's supported. Um, you just have to kind of invest a little bit more t- or a little time to actually finding those opportunities.
2: That is incredible advice. I I knew about IDPs, but I certainly didn't use um, mine the way I should. Um, So that is really wonderful advice. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one thing in addition to those, I think a lot of resources have also become available through the pandemic with so much uh, material moving on to online platforms or podcasts um ebooks audiobooks like we were talking about before um and and so I think that there really are just so many resources, and um, I agree that the hardest part is carving out the time to make it happen. Um, and one of the the ways that I have found um, to make that happen is to have people hold me accountable. <laughs> so um, whether it's I tell a mentor that I'm reading a book, or I or I um, you know ask a couple of friends to read an article and then we talk about it. You know, it doesn't have to be super formal things, but for me one of the things that keeps me continually learning is, is having people to digest the new information with and to hold me accountable to, to finish the book and then to return it to the library. <laughs>
4: so,
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Having having that buddy system, right? Having somebody uh, who is going to follow up with you about whether you've actually done what you sought out to do, I think is very important. And it's actually, this is a great segue. I'm going to ask Chief Foster, you know, lots of people think... Learning equals classroom, um, but that's no longer true, and there are so many non-traditional learning platforms. So I was curious, Chief, um, what are some of the um, learning platforms you use, um, some of the uh, unexpected ways, perhaps, that you've, you've learned outside the four walls of a classroom?
0: Um, so learning that took place outside the classroom was like maybe JPMEs where I learned about the joint forces um right in the uh comfort of my own living room. Um, I also learned that we can use like streams such as like YouTube to perform virtual change of commands. So it's so much that we can learn um outside of a classroom setting. And, um the virtual platform has been a blessing for me and my command <clears throat> um
2: Miss Catalan. I wanted to ask about the final governing principle that's encourage innovation um and innovation um it's a bit of a buzzword um but it... It it usually begins with a single person, and in an organization as large as as ours, um, it can sometimes take a really long time, a discouragingly uh, long amount of time to implement uh, innovation. And so, how do you think our community can better support innovators and their ideas and make innovation not just a buzzword, um, but, you know, a real influence on our organization?
5: Well, I think there's a number of things that all of us can be doing. So, number one, I think that we need to make sure within our team that we all have a real vested interest in the success of our organization and our members don't become complacent or apathetic. And in order to do that, I think we need to create a culture of caring about what we do. And, of course, to care what we do, we need to understand why what we do is important. Um, So, number two, I think we need to create an environment of trust, Um, and one of the earlier guests spoke about trust, I think that's so important, so that our members feel that they can openly and freely share their ideas, and that does mean, I think, getting to know and respect one another professionals. I'm number three, I think that we – and this is, I think, the hardest one for me, that we actually need the time to be creative and innovative. I mean, I might think of a good idea, but that might fly outside my brain because I have to get on to the next step. I have back-to-back-to-back obligations, and there's no real time um, that I have to develop any ideas that might come into my mind because we're constantly trying to meet deadlines. Number four, I think we need to understand that we're in a competition with nations that have adversarial interests to our own. So if you think about like the private sector, if we were a business organization, you know, business organizations fail because they're not constantly innovative. So we need to understand that we're in a competition, and I think, like a, an earlier guest said, all these governing principles sort of tie into one another. So that ties into the war fighting. That first principle that I had addressed. Um, Number five, I think we need to award and recognize people who present um, those innovative ideas. And for awards, I'm not just talking about financial awards, but maybe time awards and just recognition. And lastly, I think that with any large organization, we need to f- just find a way to cut through the red tape and the bureaucracy associated with um, presenting, um, approving, and implementing the ideas. But we also need to understand that you know innovation doesn't have to be huge, right? It could be small within our work group. I think that is
2: a great sort of six-step prescription for us, Um, and I particularly agree with that last step you mentioned and cutting away at some of the bureaucracy. Um, Lieutenant Mike, during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, necessity has led to innovation, and we've talked a little bit about this and the ways that we've um, tried to learn virtually and communicate in different ways. Um, Do you think we're working better um, or smarter right now, and how do you think we can continue to improve in our uh, efficiency.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I believe that. Um, I think that the COVID pandemic took the, um, the world by storm, including our Navy. We, um, I mean, we were catapulted into an era where we were forced to communicate on a level like never before. We had to think outside of the box. Um, I mean, you yeah, had to ensure that the the mission ran smooth. I um, mean, even without face to face interaction, so yeah, we were forced into utilizing digital platforms like Zoom, Google Meet, and Teams. Um, and through this. I think we did find better ways, I would say smarter ways to communicate and accomplish tasks. I mean, personally, as a trial counsel, uh, we were able to handle some proceedings virtually, have conferences virtually with the judiciary and meeting witnesses and more without having to see me face-to-face and utilizing some of these platforms to help. And um, I mean, as long as technology cooperated with me, uh, uh, it made my life easier. Um, but I think the issue with waiting until a pandemic requires uh, retroactive responses and that causes a rough start and stumbling at the beginning, so it was a lot of growing pains to get going. So, um, but right now, I think we're we're moving ahead, and we need to continue this improvement. We need to use our current circumstances as a, as a catalyst to continue tracking forward, and encourage changes, um, uh, recognize generational differences, and encourage people to open up and 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 uh, give suggestions and ideas. I saw a quote, I wrote it down that said that improvement is, is evolutionary and innovation is
4: revolutionary.
0: Um, So I think uh, we have to realize that if we want to keep improving, we gotta um, come up with. changes for the better and um it people to really open up even just with think tanks or whatever to just really um uh, come together with ideas on how we can continue to move forward and track ahead so we can be more proactive in the future
2: i love that quote that is great i'm gonna have to use that for sure going forward um uh, lieutenant maddox how do you think the governing principles should inform the Jack community's long-term strategy? Um, Lieutenant Mike just talked a little bit about the future and what's ahead and and thinking strategically how should the governing principles kind of inform our strategic direction?
0: Now this is uh, another tough
3: question you gave me a PAO.
4: Um,
3: so I think um, it was a couple years ago that the JAG Corps launched the um, JAG Community Strategic Framework, uh, which was like this two-page document that looked really fancy, and I think it was color-coded with uh, the CNO's lines of effort. That, that's right. Can you take,
2: confirm that for me, somebody? I can. I can. Okay. I remember it well. All
3: right. Yeah, it was a slick. It was a slick document. So. Um, i assume right that our great folks folks at at, at SAS are kind of tweaking that and reworking that um and i think kind of what i mentioned earlier about the governing principles being like the bedrock and the foundation those should be kind of interwoven into that document, and so maybe that document becomes 2.0, maybe it becomes updated. Um, you know, I'm I'm not at SAS, but I think that there was like a there was a vision for 2020 and another one for 2025 and perhaps 2030. So, kind of like what I said before about the governing principles being the foundation of like who we are and what we do, it should be the foundation for that also particular strategy as well. And I think leadership by example is, is kind of critical to that process. Um, And that's kind of all the way from, you know, top to bottom, right? Everybody has a role to play in, um, Kind of uh, identifying and serving uh, the community through these principles. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of giving like kind of wave, top top wave, vague, you know, platitudes. But I think that uh, I think that's kind of maybe our next step about how it shapes the long-term strategy, and you know, I would recommend some type of rollout, which PAO, I'm sure you you would be very involved in, um, about how those kind of the the old strategic um, framework connects with the governing principles. I hope that makes sense. And we all need to be patient, right? This is not going to be just you know a snap and it's, this is what we have. It's going to be a process where, you know, it's going to take a while for the community to really understand these and embrace these. Um, so it's, you know, going to be a, a long period of time, so we need to be patient.
2: <laughs> I agree with that as well. And that was an incredibly difficult question. I think you handled it perfectly. Um, and I want to build on it a little bit. Uh, Commander Stampley, how do you think the governing principles can help our organization um, that we you know, meet the challenges that you see on the horizon? So I really like that I get to come after Lieutenant Mike and Lieutenant Maddox
1: because um, I think the answer is that we use them. Um, And... And I think we've said that sort of through this this conversation and a couple of, of times, speakers have, have come back to how all of five of these are intertwined and they rely on each other. Um, and so, you know, I tried to pull one governing principle out and say, okay, this is gonna be the North Star. Um, but I kept coming back to all five, supporting each other, like we've, we've sort of talked about. And um, maybe it's like a table metaphor or something, like four legs and a top, something like that that it's a way to sort of think about it. Um, But I think if we come back to these principles when we're facing both easy and hard questions, we'll know that we're going in the right direction. So like, are we supporting the fleet and enabling the fight? Are we leading with integrity? Are we accountable for our decisions and we're able to stand to account knowing that we've acted in our integrity? Are we learning and researching, you know, either from our own experiences, from colleagues' experiences, like we were just talking about different materials provided from innumerable platforms and formats you know are we thinking in new ways to do things better so that the person coming behind us doesn't have to solve the same problem again but can be poised to solve the next one and thus moving everyone forward so so, I sort of think that, you know, it's sort of like a table that when it's sturdy and reliable when everything is in alignment, when all five of these governor, governing principles are being used together, um, as, as I think we've touched on each time. So, I think the very short answer to your question is um, we use them, and that is how um, they help us meet the challenges of the future.
2: Well, I think uh, that is a great way to lead to our last question, which is for Miss um, Riley. Miss um, Riley, what do you hope listeners of this podcast take away from it?
7: Our governing principles, um, you know, are, are a bedrock of who we are. Um, that I've enjoyed listening to um, the input that everyone had to say um, as part of our discussion this afternoon. Uh, you know that it's important in our day to day. Uh, positions that we acknowledge that what we do each day has a bigger purpose
4: um
7: I love the um, I love the part about us being um, in a team environment even though that there are times that we can be competitive that it's okay and it's important to acknowledge that um, mistakes uh, may happen but that you know we are in a learning culture I appreciated the uh, information um, about while we strive to um A culture of learning, um, you know, that a key aspect of that is to have someone who could um, potentially hold you accountable to your learning objectives so you don't let those fall by the wayside. Um, And while we're involved in all this, while we're doing all these things, to remember to maintain a culture of caring. Uh, So, what I I truly hope that our listeners will take away is that after listening to today's discussion, um, that I'm really impressed that the JAG community is indeed working in harmony with the five governing principles. Um, And I hope that the listening audience uh, has confidence that we are and that the JAG community is supporting the operational readiness of today's Navy.
2: Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, participating and listeners. I think there's a lot of wonderful content um, for you to take away from this discussion. I hope you enjoyed and uh, keep listening. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.